We've had a day full of blessings together, and there was a lot going on this afternoon with different encouragement groups that were meeting uh, this afternoon, and then also this evening with the Widows and Widowers Luncheon at the home of the Burkas. We're very excited about that, but we're also mindful of those who are traveling. And so let's be praying this week about our team that's in El Salvador. And again, let me remind you that an excellent way to stay updated with what's taking place is to look in your announcement sheet. There will be a a website for the weblog. You can log on, and as much as they have an opportunity, uh, they will be able to to post some uh, announcements on there about what has taken place. Let me also encourage you, speaking on behalf of someone who has been on a trip in which we got comments on a weblog, to have a little comment on there that someone's praying for you and that someone's thinking about you, even if you never hear a response back, that's going to encourage the team there. So if you have a chance to get on there, and let's participate in that. This is, this is our, our mission, all of us together. And so let's make sure we're a part of that. We also don't want to forget, as spring break is upon us, that we do have our pictorial directory pictures that will begin this week. And so if you've signed up for a picture, be sure that you're here. Also, if you've signed up to help, be sure to check your calendar and find out what time it was you signed up to help. We'll need all the help we can possibly get. That's going to be a wonderful tool for us. If you look at the passage of Scripture in the announcement sheet, it's a statement that Job makes in the 13th chapter of Job, the 15th verse, as he talks about God. He says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's a powerful statement that Job makes in the middle of suffering. I have to be honest with you, I'm not sure exactly the best way to introduce our message this evening. It's a different sermon than probably I've ever preached. It's a different one than we usually do on Sunday evenings. But I want us to ask some honest questions about how we as Christians deal with grief. How we as Christians deal with struggles that we face in life. The biblical term for, for grieving and, and maybe weeping over something that's happened is, is lament. And when we look through the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms, we look in the life of Job, writings of the prophet Jeremiah, we see a great deal of lament among God's people. And so we're going to look this evening at some biblical ways we can handle that when faced with that challenge in our lives. I want you to think about what your favorite song in worship is. If you had to pick one favorite worship song, what would that be? As we think about the songs that we sing often, if you're like me, I really enjoy getting together, especially on a Sunday night, and singing some of these, these uh, songs that are upbeat, and that, are, that are focusing on heaven, that are positive, uh, songs that, that really mean a lot, and they get us all uh, fired up, and we, we stand up and we sing together on a night like this, and it's exciting. You know, we like those upbeat kinds of songs. I want you to think about your favorite moment of this past year, 2006. What, what favorite moment stands out to you? We like to reflect on positive, happy moments in our lives, don't we? Maybe it was a time you gathered with family. Maybe it was a a personal victory that that you achieved. We like to think of personal moments that really stand out, that that are upbeat and that are positive. But you know, all life is not made up of upbeat and positive moments. And it may be that you're here this evening and in a group this size, there are probably several that are in the middle of struggling with, with a recent event that's causing a lot of grief. Maybe it's an event that's not so recent, but still causing grief, still a part of that process. You may be here this evening and that's a long way in the horizon for you. You're experiencing a time in life where you haven't dealt with much grief. 
whatever our, whatever our situation, whatever our case, I think we have a great deal to learn from Job. Dr. Bill Flatt tells two stories about speaking on grief that I want to share with you as we begin. He told me about two different times where he called congregations, and as he was arranging to come speak there, he was going to speak on the topic of grief. And so the first one he had scheduled, and they were going to, he was going to be there on a Wednesday evening. He was going to speak on the topic of grief. And one of the elders of that congregation got back to him and said, you know, we might want to think about changing the topic. He said, really? Why is that? He said, well, nothing much has happened here lately. We're not dealing with much. And there hasn't been a, a big tragedy in the area. So we probably don't need much teaching about grief right now. Well, all of us know what he was saying. He was wanting to find a topic that fit where that church was at that point in time. But if you think about it, isn't the best time to learn about how to handle grief and lament before we face a trial? Isn't it better to get that training on the front end so that when we are experiencing difficult times, we can think back on that and we can look back at that? So even if you're here this evening and and this doesn't seem like it applies to you right now in your life, what better time is there than now to focus on how we can handle grief. What is the biblical way to handle it? Another story he told was of a similar situation. He had chosen the topic of grief to speak on at a, at a series that was taking place at this congregation. And, and they asked him what topic he wanted. And he, he told them he wanted to speak on grief. And they called him back. And the person organizing the event said, listen, we think it's good that you want to speak on grief, but we were really looking more for a biblical topic for our series. We, we really need more of a, of a biblical theme. Well, Again, we know what was meant. We know what the motivation was. And yet there's that that common assumption. Sometimes we don't think of grief as something that's dealt with in the Bible. We don't think of the grief process as something that's dealt with in God's Word. Now, if, if we go down that road and that's what we believe, when we experience grief, how are we going to respond? Well, if we don't think it's something that's covered in God's Word, we might feel guilty that we're experiencing grief. We might be confused because we don't know where to turn. We don't have a source that we can go to. And so this evening, I want us to understand that this is a very biblical subject. And it's something that that reminds us as we look at God's characters, God's men and women that he used in the Bible, it reminds us they're human beings and experience the same kinds of emotions that we did. We all know more than we want to about grief. But sometimes when we come together as a congregation, it's difficult to talk about it, isn't it? It's, It's difficult when we all come together to tell someone how you're really doing or, or to tell someone what's really happening in your life. And it's, it's so tempting just to, just to put a smile on and to go and shake hands and say everything's going well. It's tempting for me as a song leader. I'll admit to sing all upbeat, positive songs that talk about heaven and we're marching to Zion and when we all get to heaven. And those are wonderful songs, but sometimes we need songs like Carrie led this evening. Be with me, Lord, when loneliness overtakes me, when I must weep amid the fires of pain. And when shall come the hour of my departure for worlds unknown? O oh Lord, be with me then. Sometimes we need those songs to help us process what's taking place in our lives. We probably all remember where we were on September 11th, 2001. I remember going out of a classroom where we had watched the second tower fall straight to a chapel service. And I'll never forget what the song leader led. The song that we sang was God Moves in a Mysterious Way. And to me, that, I've never been able to think about that song the same way since. It really captured uh, what we were all feeling. We were all trying to process, how could this happen? And we had to realize and we had to say in praise that we don't understand what's taking place. Only God does. I want us to think about that. And, and let me use a couple of illustrations before we get started in the book of Job to, to see if, 
if, if I can really, really get at this feeling we often have. Sometimes, as we live the Christian life, we're tempted to act as if we never have any problems. Especially if, if we're here at, at an event where we're talking with other members of the congregation, we want to act like everything's going okay and, and there's nothing to be worried about. What would you think of a man who had a terminal illness? was told by a doctor he had a, an illness he was, he was going to suffer with, and he decided, that's not a big deal. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not even going to do anything about it. I'm just going to ignore the problem and just keep on going as if nothing happened. Well, we'd, always, we'd all say, no, you need to address the situation. If, if we are experiencing grief in our life, if we're experiencing troubling situations, it's not going to help to just ignore the problem. It's not going to help to act as if nothing's taken place. Or we're going to have to really take the time to figure out how God wants us to handle these. We also need to remember that having a strong faith does not mean we won't have challenges. Faith is not the absence of challenge. Think about it this way. What if you were invited, right, right now, right this minute, you were invited to give a speech at the Gaylord Entertainment Center, and you were going to give a 10-minute speech in every seat, and the entire Gaylord Entertainment Center was going to be filled, and everybody's eyes were going to be focused on you. Now, how would you feel? You're preparing to speak in front of that many people. How do you feel right now? Even the most experienced speaker is going to have some butterflies in his stomach before he gets up before thousands of people. Now, if you experience some form of stage fright, that doesn't mean you're not a good speaker or you can't do a good job. That doesn't mean you have an absence of of talent speaking in front of people. It just means you have to handle that stage fright in in a way that's going to be healthy. You have to handle it in a way that's going to help your speech. Use that energy. Harness that nervous energy to aid what you're doing. The same is true for us in the realm of faith, if you think about it. Sometimes when, when we have problems or challenges that come up to our faith, we can be discouraged and think, Well, this means I don't have much faith. Well, faith is not the absence of challenges. Faith is how we handle those challenges. And so as we think about that, I'm reminded of this quote that L.L. Nash made famous years ago. A church is a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. In other words, we need to have the understanding that every one of us in here is going to be imperfect. Every one of us in here is redeemed only by submitting our lives to God and to His grace being washed in His blood. There's nothing we've done on our own. This isn't a museum where we can set up exhibits about what great things we've done. We need to realize our own imperfections and that we're going to struggle. And it's with all of that in mind that we come to the book of Job. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, turn your Bible there. Let's, let's get started as we look through Job's story. Job is a wonderful example of an, an everyman character in the Bible. He is a person in the Bible every one of us can relate to. Probably lived about the time of Abraham because we see him making sacrifices that are similar to the kind the patriarchs would have made. And we see that, that Job is here on the receiving end of a conversation that takes place between God and Satan. And the first two chapters tell us about Satan presenting himself before God. God says, have you considered my servant Job? And then Satan says, the only reason that Job is following you is because you've blessed him. If you were to take away all his blessings... He wouldn't follow you any longer. And the entire book of Job is Satan's attempt to strip away all of those blessings and to get Job to deny God, to get Job to turn his back on God. And see, if Job does that, then Satan has won. Satan has won the argument. Satan has made his point. And so in the first two chapters, we see that take place. We see Satan reach out and take away Job's children, his herds, his flocks, even his health later on in chapter 2. And Job here is in a pitiful state. His wife would even tell him to to curse God and die, to give up his integrity, turn his back on God. And then later on, as we go throughout the book, we see at the very end, Job's faithfulness 
allows him to endure all of these trials. And because of that, God gives him back, restores him to health, gives him back uh, the, uh, the number of children that he had once had, gives him back all of these possessions and flocks and herds. And that is what we usually think of as the story of Job. Did you realize that we get that from chapters 1 and 2 and then chapter 42? I mean, if you read Job the way I've read it for years, I usually think of the first two chapters, and then let's go ahead and fast forward to the end and see what happens here. But there are, there are 39 chapters in between there that give us a great deal of insight into someone who's struggling. As Job talks with his friends, we see the cycles of speeches back and forth. And so we're going to look at some of those to see what we can learn about Job, the biblical process of lament. First of all, it's important to understand biblical laments do not deny God's existence. Let me say that again. When we are lamenting something that happens in our lives, when we're grieving, when we're asking difficult questions, that doesn't mean we're denying the existence of God. If you'll notice in in Job's story, Job's good life is what led to his trials. You see, Job wasn't involved in trials in spite of the fact he was a good person. He was involved in trials because he was a good person. We see here Satan's uh, famous quote to God in Job 1, 8 through 11. He says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in all the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to his face. You see, we realize what's taking place. We realize exactly why Job's suffering. You know, Job was never able to read chapters 1 and 2 of his own book. If Job could have read chapters 1 and 2, he probably could have had a different attitude. He would have known exactly what was taking place, but Job didn't. And so as we think about what happens in Job's trials, Job is going to be asking some tough questions. When we experience tragedies in life, sometimes I think we're afraid to ask tough questions to God in prayer. We're afraid to really voice what we're really feeling. Sometimes we're afraid to let other people know what what we're really thinking. And look at just a couple of examples of these tough questions that Job asks. He says in Job 13, 22 through 24, Then call and I will answer, or let me speak and you respond to me. How many are my iniquities and sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face from me and regard me as your enemy? Now those are some pretty tough questions to be calling out to God, aren't they? Those are some pretty open questions. Job is being very open with what's taking place in his life, saying, where are my sins? Where have I sinned? Show me where I have fallen short. Now, we know, Job didn't know this, but we know that the reason he's suffering is because he has no sins that are, that are held out. God would call him upright and blameless and that there is none like him on the earth. And so Job doesn't have these outstanding sins that have caused the suffering. It's, it's, in fact, because of his upright integrity that he's suffering. He also describes God this way, as an adversary who sharpens his gaze on me in Job 16 and verse 9. These are tough questions that Job is voicing here. And we need to understand when we ask these tough questions, that doesn't mean we're denying the existence of God. You see, Job questions a lot of things. He questions God's timing. He questions God's justice. But he never questions God's existence. He never decides because this has happened in my life, I now decide that God no longer exists. It never, his, his struggles never made him an atheist. He asked some difficult questions, but he never denied God's existence. If I want to deal with grief in the way that Job dealt with it, I need to make sure that my lament is not denying God's existence, it, it, but it's free to ask God difficult questions. I think sometimes we're almost afraid to voice what we're really thinking. 
asking tough questions to God in prayer, honestly, openly, humbly, doesn't mean that, that we're denying His existence. We're just we're being honest. We're pouring out our hearts to Him. The next time you read through the book of Psalms, look for how many Psalms ask tough questions. How many Psalms ask questions like, How long, O Lord? Why, O Lord? How long are my enemies going to reign over me? Over and over again, we see the psalmist deal with these tough issues. And as we think about it, we should never feel too guilty or too afraid to be honest with the Lord in prayer. Now, I want us to think about where we are when we're dealing with grief and and things happen to us and, and we're struggling with these why questions. Sometimes we feel guilty about voicing those questions as if somehow by voicing those questions we're, we're less a, of a Christian. As if somehow we're showing that, that we don't really trust God. And yet Job this whole time never doubts God's existence. But he's very open about these questions. It's okay for us to ask humbly before God difficult questions. It's okay for us to say, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why I'm suffering this way. Number one, God already knows how we feel before we voice it in prayer anyway. So he knows what's going on in our minds. He knows the inner struggles we're having even before we voice it to him. And number two, God is big enough to handle any of these tough questions that we have to offer. I just want us to think about the the healing power that can come when we pray through these tough questions. Even voicing questions and concerns we have can have a positive effect on it, can it? Haven't you ever had a, a problem with someone or a difficulty and when it was finally brought out into the open, you just felt better? When you finally got everything out in, out in the open, you just felt better about what was taking place. It might not have solved anything. You might not have figured out anything uh, dealing with the problem that you, were, that you were struggling with. But just having it out there has helped. So biblical lament does not deny God's existence. And closely related to that, it also does not deny faith in God. Why don't you think about it? Biblical lament doesn't, doesn't deny faith in God. If I have questions I'm struggling with, that doesn't mean I have no faith. It means I'm facing challenges to my faith. And I need to deal with them in a godly way. Look again at Satan's challenge for Job. Think about what this would mean. Satan tells God that the only reason Job is serving him is because God has blessed him. And so in order for Satan to be proved wrong, what would have to happen? Job would have to be able to choose faith in the face of unexplained suffering without any special blessing from God to get him to that point. To prove that he had faith in God no matter what happened in his life. That's what, that's what Job would have to choose in order for Satan to be proved wrong. Now, God does come and speak to Job. He speaks to him the voice of a whirlwind. A fancy word for that is a theophany. You've heard of an epiphany. Well, this is, this is more than an epiphany. It's a voice directly from God. It's a theophany out of a whirlwind where God is giving him a message. And God reminds Job of a great many things. He reminds him that Job wasn't there when he laid the foundations of the earth. He's not in control of where the sun rises and sets. Not in control of where animals live or need, and maintain their existence. And he spends a great deal of time reminding Job of his power. But do you know what he never does? He never explains why Job is suffering. Have you ever thought about that? He never explains why Job is suffering. If, if it were me, I would think, if this happened to me, I'd want to know what took place in chapters 1 and 2, wouldn't you? I'd want to know what happened. I'd want to have it explained to me so I could understand and then I could make it through all this. But God never explains it to him. And, and we might wonder why that is. Why would God do that? Why would God never explain to Job what took place? Well, think, think again about what Satan has said. Satan said that Job only served God because God blessed him. In order for Satan to be proved wrong, Job had to choose faith without having the blessing of understanding what had taken place in his life. 
If, if God would have given Job the knowledge of why he was suffering, that would have been a blessing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it have been a blessing to know that? And in order for Satan to be proved wrong, Job had to choose faith in the face of unexplained tragedy. And you and I are often in the same situation, aren't we? Don't we face times in life where we just can't make any sense of it? We can't explain why something happened? And it could be that that Satan is trying to discourage us and he wants to draw us away from God. And what he wants more than anything else is for us to face tragedy and we don't have any answers and he wants us to turn our back on God. And yet Job gives us a wonderful example of someone who decided to choose faith. It didn't mean he didn't ask tough questions. It didn't mean he didn't deal with emotions because he did. But he chose faith in the face of unexplained tragedy. I would encourage us today, we can all think of maybe events in our lives, maybe events in the lives of of friends, loved ones, that we just can't explain. And and many of you have, have more experience in that field and have had more of those kinds of experiences far more than I have. But if we look at the life of Job, I don't know that any of us would compare our suffering to Job's. I don't know if we can think about losing 10 children at a time, if we can think about losing everything that we have and our health, and yet Job chose faith. It's, it's okay for us to ask these tough questions because biblical laments, they don't deny the fact that God exists and they don't deny the fact that we have faith in God. We can be open and ask these questions. Biblical laments also do something else that's very powerful for us as Christians. They allow a Christian to process emotions. Now, I am not an expert in the counseling field. I I only know what little I've read about about human emotions, especially as we process uh, grief and traumatic events in our lives. But years ago, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross made famous uh, the stages, the cycles of grief. And you've probably heard about, about denial and anger and bargaining, depression and acceptance. Now, she just gave a name to traits that humans have displayed for years, ways we've dealt with grief for years. She just kind of put a label on it. And it's not a neat cycle where you, you start one stage and then that stops and you enter another stage. Oftentimes, they're, they're mingled. Oftentimes, we, we experience different combinations of emotion. But all of us, one way or another, experience these common emotions. And you know what's interesting? Job experienced these emotions as he was suffering. Sometimes I think as, as Christians, we can feel guilty for going through, through grief. We can feel guilty for going through this process. And yet, even Job, a man who was upright and blameless before God, you remember that? Later on, God is going to say, Job has spoken to me what is right. Even Job, a man who followed God, had to deal with these emotions. None of us are exempt from it. And I'd like for us just to look at different instances in Job's life where he deals with this grief process. We see him go through it. The first stage commonly referred to is denial. Job doesn't speak here for a week. And by the time he speaks, it's very clear that his situation can't be put off any longer. He can't deny what's taking place. It's all kind of sunk in now. He knows it's reality. His friends are there with him. Incidentally, his friends did the best thing they ever did for him by not talking for an entire week. When they started talking, that's when they became the sorry comforters that Job mentions. That's when they, that's when they really start to say what's wrong. And so, so denial is that first stage. We also see some anger here. Can't you just hear the anger in this statement Job makes in chapter 7, verse 20? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you sent me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? He's got that anger as he talks to God about what's happened. Not only that, but after his anger, he he has several times throughout the the book where he he wants to strike a bargain with God. He wants God to come and explain things to him. And he tries to to strike a bargain even in chapter 10, verse 2, saying, Do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. And that, 
that thought comes over and over again in the book of Job. All right, okay, let's, let's talk about this. All right, why don't you tell me what's going on and don't contend with me and I'll let you speak. And he has these bargains he keeps trying to strike. We can probably see ourselves in, in this process somewhere. We also get the sense of longing for the old days, for that depression that he experiences. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God watched over me. 29 and verse 2. See, Job is dealing with all of these emotions. And eventually, at the end of the book, as we mentioned, he, he comes to a point of acceptance. After God speaks to him, he realizes he's uttered things he did not understand, things that were too wonderful for him to know. Job 42 and verse 3. And so we see that process lived out in the life of Job. It's important to remember that throughout all this, he has three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Later, Elihu comes and gives more of the same advice. And they keep saying, Job, you've done something wrong. We can explain everything. We can explain why you're suffering. You've done something wrong. Here's exactly what's happened. You know, I'm always suspicious of of people who claim to have all the easy answers when it comes to dealing with grief and emotion. I don't claim to have easy answers. It seems to me the only people who had easy answers in the book of Job were his three friends. And God's going to have something to say about what they were advising him to do later on at the end of this chapter. There are no easy answers to this process, and, and there's no way that we can be exempt from it. Job followed God. He was a faithful follower, yet he still had to experience these emotions. And we'll have to do the same thing. It's important to remember in times like this that as we go through some form of this cycle, that mere intellectual knowledge does not prevent emotional distress. Let me say that again. Intellectual knowledge does not prevent emotional distress. What that means is I can know intellectually that God's going to see me through a certain time in my life. I can have faith that God's going to see me through a certain time in my life. But I'll still have to deal with the emotions that go along with experiencing that struggle. I've been to, to several funerals, and I know you have as well, of people that, that I knew the kind of Christian life they lived. I knew where they were headed. I knew where their eternal destination was going to be. And yet I still struggled with the emotions of not having that person with me on a daily basis. We all can relate to that, can't we? And just knowing in our minds, we can know in our minds that that God is faithful to us and we can trust in that and we can have faith in Him, but we're still going to have these emotions to deal with. And so it's important to remember that that we're still going to process our emotions. And when we look through the biblical concept of lament, that's what it does. It helps us process this kind of emotion. And there's one last thing that it does for us. It helps us move to a conclusion. To move toward a conclusion. I want to look at one of the Psalms really quickly as a beautiful example. Here in in Psalm 13, we see a a lament psalm very clearly at the beginning. And I just want to read it for you. And let's notice the pattern here evident in this psalm. Listen to the questions at the beginning in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now in just six verses, did you see the shift that took place there? You see, at the beginning of the psalm, we have these questions of lament. How long, O oh Lord? It's, it's a plea with God. He's pleading with God. And yet by the end of the psalm, he's focusing on the bountiful blessings God has given him. And he's praising God. Lament psalms tend to have that move from, from pleading to praise. 
In other words, it's, it's okay to ask these tough questions, but I shouldn't desire to stay in that state where I'm asking all these tough questions. I should desire to move to a point where I can praise God. It's not going to be an easy transition. It's, it's not going to be an overnight transition. But the Psalms give us a wonderful example of moving from plea, asking these questions, to praise. Job does the same thing. As he goes through 42 chapters, we see at the end, finally, he's praising God because of what's taken place. He's gone through all of, all of these emotions and all of this process, and finally he's turning back and he's praising God. And I need to remember that biblical lament moves from that pleading to praising. And if, if I'm in a stage where I'm pleading with God, I don't need to rush through that, but I need to realize I should be moving through this to a point where I could praise God. I won't get there overnight. It may take a long time for me to get there. It, it took time for Job. It didn't happen for Job overnight. It won't happen for us overnight. But that should be my goal, to, to move through this time, not to rush through it and not deal with my emotions, but to have a, have a fixed point in my mind where I say, I want to get to a point where I can praise God for what's taking place here. If we can follow Job's example of acceptance, I think we can continue moving in the right direction. Maybe, it's, maybe it would take reminding ourselves of God's power, the way God reminded Job of his power. Maybe we need to spend some time in his word to be reminded of, of God's ultimate power over all creation. Maybe we need to pray those questions honestly that we read about in, in the Psalms. We read, about, we read about Job, praying those openly with God, asking him questions. God, I don't understand this. Here's my struggle. Voicing those openly. Maybe even talking honestly with some Christian friends would help. But whatever the case, it's okay for us to be at a point where, where we're questioning what's taking place, but we, we shouldn't want to stay there. We should want to move to a point where we can praise God. You see, it's okay for us to deal with these questions in a straightforward manner. Where we get in trouble is when we have these tough questions that we never deal with, that we sort of store away in the back of our mind, and, and maybe we're too afraid to voice them, maybe we're too afraid to talk to someone about them, but we kind of store them in the back of our mind, and that just sort of chips away at our faith. It chips away at our motivation. Job is a wonderful example because he deals with this openly and honestly. He puts everything out on the table. He voices how he feels. And through this process, he's able to come to a point in Job 42 where he speaks of God, what's right. If you would turn back to the 42nd chapter of Job, I want us to close as we think about these thoughts with a powerful passage here. Job repents in the first few verses. Uh, he, he decides that he was uttering things he didn't understand uh, that were too wonderful for him. He, he still doesn't know why he suffered, but he's at a point where he's willing to trust God. And so it was in verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, remember, this is one of, these, one of Job's friends, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Just stop for a second and think about that. Job has gone through all of these emotions. Uh, he's dealt with all of these questions. And he's finally gotten to a point of acceptance. And God says, Job has spoken to me what's right. His friends who had all the easy answers, who said, oh, we've got it all figured out. Job, here's why you're suffering. Let me tell you why you're suffering. You deserve this. You've done something. And they keep that same refrain keeps sounding over and over again in their comments. And that arouses God's wrath. It arouses his anger. And so, look at what he says is going to happen in verse 8. He says, Therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job. Offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. There's the second time he said it. 
Second time, Job's spoken of them what is right, and they haven't. Job is going to pray for them. This same Job that had all of these doubts and that had all of these struggles and was willing to voice them openly before God is going to pray for his friends. I think that if we follow Job's example, we'll have a healthier spiritual life. That we'll have a healthy relationship with God. So as, as we remind ourselves of these things, we need to remember this grief process that Job goes through, this lament process, it's going to take time. It did for Job. We can't expect to walk through it overnight. We can't expect things to be 100% better tomorrow. And you may be at, a, at a various points in this process as you've been working through. And that's, and that's okay, but we want to be moving to a point where we can have that kind of acceptance Job had. There are no pat answers to tough questions. The only ones who knew the answers in the book of Job were the ones that God corrected. And I just want to, I want to keep reminding us of that, especially as we help each other out through struggles. There aren't any easy answers. And so as we think through this, we need to realize God created us, including our emotions. And He understands our needs. And with His help, we can make it through times of lament. One of the most powerful pictures for me in the, all of the New Testament is when Jesus weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. There is no one that understood the temporary nature of this life more than Jesus. There's no one who understood the final goal of this life more than Jesus. And yet, being 100% divine and 100% human, he weeps here at the tomb of Lazarus. He shows some emotion. It's okay for us to show our emotions, to walk through this grief process. Biblical lament, following the biblical model, it doesn't deny God's existence. It doesn't deny faith in God. Rather, it helps us process our emotions and move to a conclusion. It won't happen overnight, but with God's help, it can happen. A few books have come out about transitions in life. One called Managing the Transitions of Life, written by William Bridges. And one of the beautiful pictures he paints is something we can relate to, especially this time of year. When we think about the spring that's upon us, and we think about how exciting it is when the days start getting longer and the weather starts getting better. And all of a sudden, you know, trees are growing and flowers are blooming and everything looks wonderful. The summer comes and we have the sun that comes out. We can have some, some days that we go out and we spend time in, in nature and, and we play and we have all sorts of fun. And then the fall comes. And the trees are, are beautiful and they start to change colors. But, you know, as the fall moves into winter, those leaves fall from the trees. All of a sudden, things begin to look pretty bare, don't they? And it's at those, those winter times when it, it would be tempting for us to say, we want to make it like it was in the spring or the summer. That's when we had a lot of fun. You see, we've all been through spring and summer times in life, haven't we? Time, times of joy, times that were fun. And we've all come into fall and winter times of life too, haven't we? Times when things just aren't the way they used to be. And we'll never be able to make things like they used to be. It would be like going out in the fall or in the winter and trying to take dead leaves and take scotch tape and put them on trees and, and try to hold flowers up, dead flowers, and kind of, kind of make them stand up and make it all look like it used to be. You see, as we struggle through life, we're going to have seasons like the spring and summer. We're going to have seasons like the fall and winter. But you know, if we trust in God, God will get us through the fall. God will get us through the winter. And we'll have another spring coming. We'll have another summer coming. It might not be exactly the same as the one we remembered, but it will be beautiful, and we won't want to miss it. And so if you're here this, this evening and you're feeling like you're in a winter time of life, if you feel like you can relate to Job and what he's going through, the message God has for us today is one of comfort. In fact, when the prophet Isaiah was prophesying about Jesus coming to the world, one of the terms he uses in Isaiah 9 is a counselor. We have the best counselor imaginable. The best person to give us advice and to see us through difficult times. 
And so my last question for us this evening is when we face challenges, do we have a counselor we can count on? When we go through these emotional times of grief that we're all going to face, do we have a counselor we can trust and that we know will one day deliver us to a time where we won't have any death, we won't have any sorrow, we won't have any tears? We won't have any of the things here that have caused us all of this grief and lament. We'll only have a time of joy with the Father and with those that are members of His kingdom. If you want to be a part of that kingdom, if you want to have this counselor to guide you, if you want to have that unbridled joy spending an eternity with our Lord, you can make the decision to do that, to become a Christian, to be united with Christ in baptism, and to start walking a life that has the best counselor you can imagine. And that decision can be made right now, and that walk can begin today as we stand and sing together.